The Will You Grow Show goes live Sundays 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. To receive notifications, click the subscribe button beneath this video or visit YouTube's Will You Grow channel to see more shows and videos. And now, here's Will You founder Angelique Meadow with this week's Will You Grow Show. Welcome to the Will You Grow Show. How are you? I'm Angelique, and I'm here to ignite your inner courage to release yourself from limitations. I'm the founder of Will You and WillYouGrow.com, an inspirational multimedia company that provides personal growth and joy through education, conversations, and adventures. I'm here in our studio with our audio aficionado, Ben, and our video Santa, Neil. Good morning. They'll make this show happen while sharing their stories and commentary. This is the seventh of a series of shows about self-care. To start with the basics, self-care is knowing how we feel and what we think. It's knowing what we need and providing it for ourselves. And self-care is knowing what we want and what's best for us and providing that for ourselves as well. I'd like to begin by speaking to the title of today's video and why you may have clicked upon it. The title is How to Heal Emotions. The reason why we titled this show How to Heal Emotions is because I have a viewer who requested this topic. A couple of weeks ago, bring this out, we discussed emotions and feelings and we discussed the emotions wheel which helps us to discover what it is that we actually feel so that we don't answer just things like I'm good I'm fine I'm all right <laughs> or something along those lines but we don't actually know what the deeper feelings and emotions are so he had suggested that he had some emotions that felt uncomfortable and he wanted to know how to heal them this very topic is the reason why I have avoided speaking about it. Because emotions and feelings are very difficult to put into words sometimes. And how to actually heal what's causing difficult emotions is even more challenging. Because putting it into words is not what we do to actually heal the wound that's causing the emotions. Let that sink in for a minute. So overall, emotions are a result of feelings caused by a wound. The emotions, whether they're anger or fear or anxiety, are not the actual problem themselves. What we do is try to manage or trap or stuff or block the emotions. And when we do that, the wound isn't healed. It's still there to cause more of the same emotion. So managing our emotions is not actually going to heal us. So we cannot heal emotions. We can only feel emotions. And feeling is part of the healing of the wound that causes the ones that make us feel discomfort. <laughs> so remember this, the healing is in the feeling. That shift in perspective is needed. If we'd like to begin to heal, we need to begin to feel. And to feel better, to feel safer, and to feel loved more often, we need to feel and care for our emotions. So why do we have such difficulty with our emotions? Because most of us were not raised to care for our emotions and don't know how. I'd like to share a story with you. This story is true, and it happened to me a little over a week ago. It was a bright and sunny Saturday in Tennessee, and it was about 60 degrees. I just finished a workout, and I felt pulled to take a walk in nature. This is unusual since I don't go exercise after a workout, but the feeling was strong. It felt like an intuitive feeling. So I went to a nearby park with walking trails. And I had been there many times before, but this time, very oddly, even to me at the time, instead of walking on any of the wonderful trails, I felt inexplicably pulled 
to walk through a dense forest near an area where people play disc golf. As I did, I was walking through a thicket and just kind of making my way along the water while noticing there were some people playing disc golf to my right. All of a sudden, I heard the shriek of a child that was very young. It was one of those shrieks that those of us who have been around a lot of kids know means I'm hurt or I'm really, really scared. It was one of those shrieks. So I looked over to my right and what I saw was a little boy who looked like he was about two years old, just, you know, barely kind of walking, but not completely comfortable with it. And his shriek and he had was was just continual and he has had his hand on his eye and there were two men with him the man in front walking in front of the child said while continuing to walk forward what's wrong with you haven't you ever been in a forest before and then the man behind the child said he just poked his eye with a stick Then the man in front said, what's wrong with you? This is still while he's walking ahead and not looking at the child. I just decided that I was going to do something I wouldn't normally do. And I just decided to come out of the thicket. And I walked up towards where the child and the father and this other man were, not knowing what I was going to walk into in regards to their protection mechanisms with this child. But I knew that that child needed something at that moment that neither one of those men could give to that child. And I knew it would be something on my heart if I didn't at least offer it and let the, the men or decide what they were going to do with it. So I crouched down away from maybe six or ten feet away from the father and the child and I looked at the little boy and I said hi did you hurt and as he's like this I said did you hurt your eye that happens sometimes and he said then he does this I said yeah it happens sometimes even to big people And then he went like this, and then he kind of moved around a little bit, and then he smiled at me, and I smiled at him. And then he kind of buried his face in his dad's leg, but his dad didn't move. And then his dad, which I thought this was a brilliant move on his part, said, I think she needs a hug. And I knew what he was really saying that the child needed to hug. The child ran towards me and I put my arms out and he just buried himself in me and I gave him a hug and just held on to him and I said thank you to the dad and then the child turned his head and just did this into my shoulder and then the dad said we got to go. And off they went. And the little boy said she was playing hide and seek. And then he started laughing and went on his way. Now, this is really meaningful to me on many levels. One, because when we look at how that child reacted, when someone just paid attention to his feelings and his needs, he shifted from screaming and crying and feeling hurt to knowing that he was okay all on his own. Just from the awareness of how he felt and what he needed. It was meaningful to me because I knew I could offer that, but it was meaningful to me because that child could be affected for the rest of his life with little by little of having that opportunity. But the only way he's going to have that opportunity if the people around him can see how it's done. His, those men who were with him were doing the best that they knew how. And it was nothing wrong with what they were doing. 
because from most men's perspective, they believe they are preparing that child to be bullied and not to be bullied in the future. If it, many men would be softer, as they would call to their feelings, they could potentially get beaten up on the playground or be bullied by others. So they're teaching the child to be tough. However, knowing when to shut that off, the emotions like the child was going through, and knowing how to care for the emotions are two different things. And these men, neither of them knew how to care for emotions or they would have been able to offer it to this child. So just by my example, they may not choose to learn, but I did show them how to do it. So if they know how, then they can offer that to their child and they may even consider offering it to themselves or someone else. Now, none of that may happen. It, they may just go on their merry way and everything stays the same. However, I can recognize from my own childhood that I was also not taught how to handle my own emotions. And it led to all sorts of problems. I've done almost five years worth of inner work with four years worth of inner child work specifically that has gotten me to the point that I know how to do this and that I can offer it to someone else. So it was very validating for me to know that I could not only do it for me, but I could share it with someone else. And I can also see the results of what that kind of loving care of my own emotions meant. If I hadn't done it for me, I could not have offered it to that boy. I would have felt sorry for him and kept on walking. Now, how many of us are in that state now when someone feels bad, crying, hurt by a stick or a person or whatever? We feel bad for them, but we do not know how to care for their emotions. This is common. Now, these are destructive long-term effects that can happen from not taking care of our needs. There are many. So I'm thankful that I learned how to take care of my needs and acknowledge my feelings. But there are many effects of not doing so. And one of them is that we become a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> or we marry one. Or both. So I'd like to read a small section in this book here. It's called... How to avoid falling in love with a jerk. That's, a the most, that's, the most, that's the perfect title I've ever seen in the title of a book. Don't beat around the bush. This Just is what the dang it. book's about. I love it. This is by John Van Epp, Ph.D. Okay. This is going to talk about needs, what happens when we care for them, when we don't care for them. And what's required to change. Needs are natural and innate to the human experience. When you stop needing, you stop being alive. Think about a baby. Babies have physical, emotional, and relational needs, and they never require someone to teach them what they need. For example, imagine a newborn girl. She needs to be held, comforted, and protected. When she needs something, she cries. For a time, her need is unfulfilled. During that time, she becomes more fearful and insecure, so she cries harder. She continues to cry as long as the need is unmet. Yet, as soon as the parent attends to her, the need is resolved and she regains a feeling of contentment and safety. The fulfillment of needs prompts growth in the child and stimulates the development of confidence that the next need will successfully be satisfied. This confidence forms in the foundation for both the child's self-image, for example, quote, I can accomplish what I set my mind to, unquote, and the child's belief about his or her environment, for example, quote, the world is a safe place that usually meets my needs, or things usually work out for me, unquote. However, when a need is repeatedly neglected, a different pattern emerges. 
the need intensifies into a demand. If this emotional demand is unfulfilled, then it continues to increase until it becomes an absolute necessity. Psychologist Harry Harlow conducted a landmark study on newborns and the importance of being touched. He separated baby primates from their mothers immediately after birth and kept them in isolation. Although the primates were provided with food and warmth from a surrogate cloth mother, without any touch they all developed abnormal emotional needs. They were socially awkward, depressed, and unable to give affection normally. Although primates have been used to illustrate how normal needs can grow into unhealthy needs, this can also occur in human relationships. Many clients have stayed in relationship where their normal needs were starved. Like the primates, the needs of these clients escalated into unhealthy needs. Both adults and children develop coping mechanisms to handle this unhealthy situation. They may stuff it, deny it, become depressed, or just channel the unhealthy needs in some way. Yet, these unmet needs become the seeds for later relationship problems, setting up a person to either be with a jerk or, in fact, be the jerk. Although there is little from your past that will not influence your present, there is also much that can be altered and redeemed. This point is worth emphasizing. Change is possible, but not without four essential ingredients. First, change requires insight into yourself. And many of us lack this. It is very difficult to improve some area that you do not recognize as a problem. The Alcoholic Anonymous organization has acknowledged this for years. Until an alcoholic can break through denial and admit the addiction, there will never be any progress. This process is true with any addiction, substance, physical, or emotional. This insight can occur in many ways. Unfortunately, it often takes a rock-bottom experience to gain a clear view of yourself. After you gain insight, you then need new information. New information can direct the changes. In most aspects of life, we recognize the importance of training and experience. Every profession reveres those who have learned the most. When it comes to loving and relating, however, some think that it's an insult to even suggest that they need to be taught how to get along with others. Figure out what psychological defenses you commonly use. Ideally, healthy defenses soften a blow to the self so you can see and admit your shortcomings but not be overwhelmed with rejection or remorse. However, you may have such strong defenses that you deny your shortcomings. It will be difficult for someone to be in a relationship with you if you are overly defensive. Overdefensiveness leads you to feel that you are never wrong and usually limits your ability to change because you minimize or overlook your own problems. Some people are more oriented towards personal growth than others. If you are one of these people, then you are probably more willing to look at yourself from the perspective of another, and your track record most likely supports this attitude. You have attended classes, listened to tapes, watched educational shows, read books, or pursued learning in other ways. Over the course of your relationships, genuine changes will become accompanied by insight, new perspectives, and new information. Two additional ingredients are involved when change occurs. Motivation and time. Hard work is easy to observe and measure when you are engaging in a physical task. For example, If you were constructing an addition to your home, no one would doubt the hard work and labor required. 
no one would question the necessity of time in this endeavor. It would be ridiculous for someone to discuss renovating a home and expect it to be completed without any time or effort. But consider how many times have you heard a person you are dating acknowledge a fault, promise to change, but then assume that it is accomplished, if not immediately, then after only one week of improvement. As with physical construction, personal changes take concerted effort over time. Make sure you are putting forth the time needed to make lasting changes. The more significant the problem, the longer it usually takes. For example, Kurt tried over and over to talk with Monica about her controlling behaviors but never saw any changes in her interactions with him. Only when he finally told her that he was going to break off the relationship did she change. She was much more willing to treat Kurt like an equal, go along with things that were interesting to him, and be less argumentative and bossy when they had differences. These changes made Kurt feel hopeful and optimistic, but celebration was premature. She continued for about a month and then slowly reverted back to her previous patterns. In this case, as in most other similar situations, Monica became defensive and even more resistant to change after she fell back into her old ways. Changes like Monica's are only external and behavioral, but deep inside, Monica was not really motivated to change. No true effort was put into dealing with the core attitudes and beliefs that produce the problem behavior. Sometimes you can be motivated by emotions from a temporary situational state, for example, fear, panic, grief, or anger. But as soon as that state changes and the emotions dissipate, then so does the motivation. This is much different than the motivation that comes from a deep-seated conviction. A deep-seated conviction is what's required to make lasting change. The problem is it's not always easy to tell which is which. The dust may have to settle before persistence and determination to change can actually be gauged. Time is the ultimate proof of a promised change. Think of pseudo-changes as a Hollywood set, an outward convincing construction with no substance behind the scenes. If, like Monica, you have made a change like this, it was probably motivated by the fear of losing the person you love. However, as soon as your fear subsided, the set began to crumble, and your prior landscape was revealed. We need to make sure that fear is not prompting our desire to change and that our new construction is not a new Hollywood set, which never takes long to build. As with most rules, there are exceptions, and to be fair, I want to mention the exception to the rule of the four ingredients required for genuine change is that on rare occasions, a major life experience can cause lasting positive changes. Crises, spiritual or emotional experiences, and physical or chemical changes can impact a person in life-altering ways. In these exceptions, as in all cases, Time is the true measure of genuine change. Most often, however, personal growth requires an investment of insight, new information, and motivated hard work over time. So aside from the effects of not acknowledging and feeling and caring for our emotions, being that we become a jerk or we end up with a jerk, there are also destructive long-term effects for not caring for our emotions that land in our body. So the least of which is feeling ignored or misunderstood. The worst of which is suicide and or a lifetime of suffering. I've experienced the feelings of three of those, but refuse to accept a feeling of lifetime of suffering. So I took the deep dive into my emotions and feelings and needs and wants and healing my old wounds. But many people don't and suffer the consequences. 
Here's a quote from Victoria Terrett, provisional psychologist. Quote, suppressing your emotions, whether it's anger, sadness, grief, or frustration, can lead to physical stress on your body. The effect is the same, even if the core emotion differs. We know that it can affect blood pressure, memory, and self-esteem. I'll now read a small portion of a very long list of symptoms that can be experienced as a result of repressing, suppressing, and denying our emotions. When we do not know how to care for, do not choose to care for, or do not choose to know how we feel, we may experience the following. Longer term, Tarot says there's an increased risk of diabetes and heart disease. And avoiding emotions can also lead to problems with memory, aggression, anxiety, and depression. A study from the University of Texas found that by not acknowledging our emotions, we're actually making them stronger. For example, Tarot says, you might be angry at your brother, and after stewing in your anger, not saying a thing, you could encourage an emotional outburst in yourself towards someone else. So when you're driving the car a few weeks later and someone cuts you off, you can get all-out road rage causing an accident. That explosion and overreaction to a situation is your body's way of releasing that pent-up emotion. Additionally, a Time Magazine article by Hilary Jacobs Hendel from February 27th of 2018 shared the following. Current neuroscience suggests that the more emotions and conflicts a person experiences, the more anxiety they feel. That's due in part to the vagus nerve, one of the main emotional centers of the body. It responds to emotional triggers in the midbrain by sending signals to the heart, lungs, and intestines. These signals ready the body to take appropriate and immediate action in the service of survival. The body is ready to react to a perceived danger before the person is aware that an emotion has been triggered. It's the reason why emotions aren't under our conscious control. How do you know that's true? How many of us have been in love with someone who really wasn't good for us and who we didn't even like? The emotion of that love experience was out of our control. Consider Frank, a patient of Hillary Hendel's, who was greatly bothered that he could not afford the kind of car that he really wanted. Something as simple as Frank's thwarted car desire triggered a mixture of sadness, anger, humiliation, and anxiety. He also had physical symptoms, and although Frank had some inkling that his stomach trouble had to do with stress, he was unaware that emotions in particular were causing his intense stomach pains. Because he hadn't paid attention to his emotions, he had no tools for what to do to feel better. When Frank's eyes saw the car, and all of a sudden he felt sadness, humiliation, and anger, his stomach went to, into an instant state of upset. Frank's stomach continued to hurt until, through therapeutic personal growth, he learned to tune into his body, to recognize and separate out each emotion, naming them, and tending to or caring for each of them, one at a time. That is how to heal the wound. The role that emotions play in creating both physical suffering and healing is becoming a more popular focus today. Yet the growing field is still not part of the mainstream standards of care. And education in emotions is still not mandatory in social work programs, doctoral programs, psychology, and in medical schools. Yet simply teaching people that emotions are not under conscious control can help them tremendously. 
Basic biology and anatomy explain that we cannot stop our emotions from being triggered, as they originate from the middle section of our brain that's not under conscious control. However, when people are given education on emotions and skills for how to work with them, they can begin to feel better and heal. Frank healed his stomach by allowing himself to feel sad. Yes, allowing himself to feel sad. He mourned the loss about not getting his fancy car. He validated his angry feelings after learning they were natural. And he learned specific skills to release his anger in ways that were healthy and not destructive to himself or others. He practiced self-compassion in response to his humiliation, and that decreased too. Once he experienced all of his feelings, they passed, as core emotions do when they are deeply felt in the body. As an aside, my experience with this is comparing emotions and feelings to a cloud in the sky. When that feeling comes through like the cloud, if we just simply look at it lovingly and curiously, learn more about it, and feel it completely in the body, it literally transforms the way clouds do and dissipate. By working with his emotions, he changed the firing pattern of his vagus nerve and healed his stomach pain. Clients tend to avoid painful or conflicting emotions in their lives, just as most of us do, because that's what we were taught. But to heal the mind, we need to experience the emotion. And I will also add, to heal the body, we need to experience the emotion. And we thank Time Magazine for that beautiful article. Next, we'll share four tips to begin feeling and healing. But first, we'll take a quick break for you to consider a question. The question is, how do you feel? I encourage you to go ahead and pick up the emotions wheel. It is right here. It looks like this. You will find a link to it in the description box. You can click on it and download. Or you can go to Google and type in emotions wheel and get whatever option that is uh, listed there that you find for free. But this one I've, is not mine, but I have found it to be exceedingly useful and helpful because it also extends to what the body does with the feeling. So it helps you determine how it is you feel even more deeply. So answer that question, how do you feel? Then write what you uncover in the comment section. And when we come back, we'll share stories and apply the four tips to heal and feel. You can heal with words, ease anxiety, create peace, hope, and love within with these elegant new hardcover affirmations, books, card decks, and journals by Angelique Meadow, founder of Will You and WillYouGrow.com. Join us on tour to meet Angelique as she shares hands-on tips to inner peace and harmony by integrating the affirmations, books, card decks, and journals into your health and happiness lifestyle. I love getting to spend time with Angelique and especially learning how to use the wonderful tools that she's created. I've been using them at home and taking the time to spend five minutes just to focus on whatever card I drew for the day. And it has given me some peace and space to just get calm. And then to spend some time with her today and learn even more about how to use these cards and to journal about these experiences. It's just even more fulfilling because she's such a sweet soul and makes it okay even when I feel frustration or I feel conflict when I read the cards. Um, and she helps me see that this whole purpose of my life, no matter when I'm struggling or frustrated or angry or not happy and joyful and blissful, that the, all of that is still okay and that it's all for a reason. Using these cards, even without her with me, she'll still be there in those cards. And I know that now that I know how best to use them 
and truly feel them, I have confidence that I am going to be so blessed and I'm so grateful. Select a tour date now to meet Angelique and fun new like-minded friends for hands-on tips to more harmony in your heart, mind, and home. Book your tour date now and we'll see you there. And now it's time for our love our humanness time of the show, everybody, because emotions are part of our human experience and they need love too. So Ben and Neil have been looking at the emotions wheel to help them uncover how they feel. Gentlemen, let's start with Santa Neil. Santa Neil, how do you feel today? All right, a boat just went by, so I felt irritated. <laughs> But I don't have a headache, because that's what irritates. Tight jaw, headache, but I don't have any of that. And that irritates you because you can hear it on I camera. I can hear right? it on the microphone. <laughs> it irritates We can't cover that up. And, and just to go a little, let's go a that's little deeper, because it's like, it's like a road rage thing. So it irritates you yeah. that the boat is going by. However, how does that feeling reflect on how you feel about your job? Well, that's why it irritates me, because I've been, that's what we do, we, we want everything to be, what we do, for we want everything to be as perfect as possible, and when something like that, or someone gets in front of the camera, or a plane rolls by when you're outside trying to film a promo, <laughs> and it seems like it's just hovering overhead, and won't go away like a pesky bee, and you get back and you, because you, you know you can't cover that sound. It's not, it's just, you know, you, you just can't. That's, that's, I don't even know if those tools exist to erase plain sounds and, and ambient noise. They sure they do, but that would take him forever to do. So that's why it's irritating. <laughs> so, so that's... But you get over it. Well, yes, yes. It's an irritation in the moment. <laughs> it doesn't, I really, it really doesn't, it is irritating in the moment. It doesn't follow me. I don't dwell on that irritation because we've got, I've got more to do. It eventually goes away and, and I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're so, going to go deeper on that. I know. Here. It's, it's, now, Ben, what would you say? How do you feel? <laughs> I am proud of our team here. Um, Good one. We're proud of you, Ben. Satisfied. Intimate. I, I like that we're not just having, you know, right. small talk here. Talking about real stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and mildly anxious about my uh, impending car repair bill. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> and that is a good that's that's a well deserved emotion in my humble opinion. <laughs> so if I'm fidgety right now, that's because of that it's not because of the content of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the lack of content in your wallet it's, after you pay for your exactly <laughs> scarf. Nice. Okay, so oh, that's wow. what came to mind and feelings initially. That's the that's the base level of how do you feel now is there anything else is there anything else that you feel besides what you just mentioned in addition to what you just mentioned i'd also say satisfied mm -hmm. i was going to say satisfied um energetic mm -hmm. awake um just wrapped up sort of a, a long six months project that I was working on, so I'm ready to um, have more time and see what happens. That has a good feeling of satisfaction yeah. when you do finish your project, and then you have a good feeling about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, did, yeah, I think I did pretty well on it, so. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And is there anything else? I've had a busy week, but it never got got me stressed. 
I was looking in here and, and I know I've had a busy week and that's a wonderful to have a busy week. Uh, but I still felt peaceful. So I would take time to go outside with the dog, mm-hmm. just sit there, just listen to the birds, mm-hmm. even if it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then go back and finish my work. Mm-hmm. That helped me feel more peaceful and less stressed. That's all great. I did. Good. I felt that whole way all week. Mm-hmm. I'd like to bring this feeling into body awareness. Mm. Okay? So when someone asks, how do you feel? Very often, if we're not aware of what we feel in our body, we begin to list off what we have done that week or what we have done that day or what we have accomplished. Mm. I never thought about Or what's the experience of the to-do list? Because we don't check into our actual body and know how we feel. Mm -hmm. So you had started with the inside of the wheel, looking at the (coughs) descriptions Mm -hmm. of the words about how you feel to help to check into our body awareness. Go to the outside ring of the wheel. Now, you're looking at this and you're thinking cognitively. But I want you to check out of your thinking and drop your energy down into your body feeling. What is happening in your toes? What is happening in your feet? What is happening in your legs? What's happening in your trunk? What's happening in your midsection? What's happening in your heart? What's happening in your arms and your hands? What's happening in your neck? And in your head that is not thoughts. That, that Hmm. is how you feel. So, as you looked at that list again, how do you feel in your body? Many of us are checked out from how we feel in our body because at a young age, it was too hard to feel the feelings that we had. Whether we were neglected or abandoned or if we had an abusive situation or if someone was just absent because they were working all the time or they had addictions where they were drinking a lot. It hurt too much for us to be physically present in our body and we checked out. Mm -hmm. So working through that process of recognizing, hey, I don't know how my body feels. Even that is a huge step. I don't know. And then one can bring that awareness back into the body and start becoming more aware of it. And the way we can do that is by the next few steps. Here are four tips to begin feeling and healing. Number one, get kindly curious to learn. That means be gentle, easy, and interested in learning about ourself. That means no criticism, only care. Number two, ask, how do I feel? And What else do I feel? And listen with kindness, openness, interest, and patience. I get my journal to take notes, and I find this helpful. Again, with the compassionate care to learn our truth, both in our heart and in our body, all in one, how we feel. Number three, Then we can ask, what do I need? What do I need? And what else might I need? And let the stillness of waiting for the answer be easy, like a pond without a ripple. It does not look like searching or thinking to try to find out what we need. It's simply allowing the answer to arise from the depths of the pond like a submerged bobber, and the answer will arise. Number four, 
give ourselves what we need immediately. This is a bingo moment. This may seem like a struggle at first, but to give ourselves what we need, it actually becomes exceedingly rewarding and fulfilling and healing over time. P.S. When we fulfill our deepest needs, our unhealthy cravings for sweets, other addictions also eventually dissipate. When we do not fulfill our needs, we are prone to addictions. So this process can be very challenging to do on one's own. I can say firsthand that I would not have been able to do it on my own, even from trying, even though I'm the kind of person who believes in self-care, who believes in personal growth. It took me working with someone for four years to walk me through this process and get to the depths of truly caring and healing for my wound, healing my wounds. Just to give you a short example, one of my wounds had to do with my mom went through postpartum depression and there was some depression after, after that as well. So there were times when she was not able to fulfill my needs, much less even know what they were. She was in her own level of pain. So there was a wound that had happened when I was very young. And I'm not talking about just a physical wound. I'm talking about the emotional wound of feeling that my needs were not fulfilled. At that moment in my life, when that happened, when I checked out of my body because my needs weren't being met, at that moment, I also had had a craving for applesauce. Not the kind that came out of a can or a jar, but the kind that you make when you take all the peeling off the apple and you take all the seeds and all that little stuff out of the middle and you chop it up and you put it into a pan with some butter and you make applesauce. That was my craving. Well, when I, as an adult in my late 40s, finally got to the point where I was ready to heal that wound. Physically, I had a craving that was so strong for applesauce. And I didn't understand it. It made no sense at all. I'm like, why am I craving applesauce? And I went through the list. What do I feel? Is there anything else? What do I need? Applesauce. Is there anything else? No applesauce. And I was like, this is nuts. But This is the time when a person can just, again, check out, get to the to-do list, pretend you didn't hear it, think it's stupid and criticize it. But if we actually make the applesauce, which is what I did, and eat the applesauce, there is a part of us that our wound that we had is healed because we know that we are now capable. We are now capable of fulfilling our own needs. And that is what self-care is all about. There are many benefits to feeling our emotions. When we're kindly curious about our emotions, the inner learning can be deeply validating and healing. Although the idea of living without emotions may seem easier, emotions are a fact of life and we can learn to see our emotions as flavor, fragrance, protection, care, and an overall incredible way to experience being human. If we feel unworthy to know and care for our emotions because we may have been raised with criticism, we can remember and repeat our three affirmations from the past six weeks. We'll do them together. They are on three. One, two, three. I I do do matter. And the second one on three. One, two, three. I I am am worth worth knowing. knowing. And the third one on three. One, two, three. I I am am important. important. Rather than fighting 
fleeing, stuffing, or drowning our emotions, we can create a safe inner place to know, care for, and learn from them. By doing so, we neither look to others nor lean on them to care for us. This allows us to feel noticed, appreciated, respected, and cared about by ourselves. And by caring for our own emotions rather than looking for others to care for them, we can simply share life with others rather than needing something from them. So will you? I encourage you to be kindly curious, feel, and learn from your emotions. By doing so, you will always know that somebody cares. So let us know how applying today's concepts works for you. We enjoy hearing from you, and if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, feel free to put that in the comments section. And we'd love to meet you in person! We're inviting you to join us in Knoxville, Tennessee, any Sunday in April for the Will You Grow, Love, and Adventure Brunch Series at Knoxville's Fantasy Resort, Ancient Lore Village. Check out the event video next to get all the delicious details and book your tickets and come visit with us in April. And now I send you off, always with love. Those are the good feels <laughs> from Angelique. Join author and guest speaker Angelique Meadow for Will You Grow, Love and Adventure, an April brunch series at Knoxville's boutique resort, Ancient Lore Village. The bountiful Sunday brunch is $35 and begins at 1 o'clock. Feast on breakfast casserole, seasonal salad, fruit skewers, biscuits and gravy, pork loin, and pecan rolls outside and undercover by a grand fireplace, radiant column heaters, and a stunning view of the blue-hued Smoky Mountains. Then get cozy for Angelique's inspirational tips to harmonize your heart and mind for everyday feelings of love and inner peace. Next, take a guided tour of the magical village. For overnight accommodations, reserve one of the nine immaculately designed village dwellings to reconnect with nature, yourself, and your loved ones as you explore the village's 56 acres, its archery and axe throwing range, stories around the flickering campfire, and the nearby Smoky Mountain National Park. Don't miss this beautiful opportunity any Sunday in April at 1 o'clock at Ancient Lore Village, just 15 minutes south of downtown Knoxville, Tennessee. Enjoy life with wonderful people and fulfill a fairy tale fantasy. There are only 30 tickets available each Sunday, so reserve your tickets now for the Will You Grow Love and Adventure Brunch Series any Sunday in April at Knoxville's luxury venue. Click the description box below, then click the link titled Brunch Series in Tennessee. Join us at Ancient Lore Village any Sunday in April at 1 o'clock. You must have tickets to attend, so click the description box below. Then click the link titled Brunch Series to get your tickets, and we'll see you there. For more information about programs offered by Will You, Mentoring with Angelique, and to watch video success stories from clients, explore willyougrow.com. If you or your company are interested in inspiring our mutual audience by sponsoring this or another of our programs, let's talk about it. Boost viewer confidence and trust in your company. Call 1-833-WILL-YOU, then press extension number 6. Make sure to click the subscribe button to get reminders before upcoming shows.